Hello, all my baby bats and psycho cats out there. This is Amy Shofsrain from the Fishnets and Phantoms podcast. And I was a little bit late on all my podcasts, and I have uh, just a little bonus. It's a very, very late Christmas podcast. Uh, it's got some stuff on the horrors of Christmas and some uh, interesting news things. And a review of Vampires vs. the Bronx. Have fun. Hello and welcome to Fishnets and Phantoms. This is December 20th, Solstice Eve. You are with your host, Amy Schoeps Rain. Fishnets and Phantoms is a podcast about movie reviews, pop culture reviews, and general musings on life, the universe, and everything, with a few miscellaneous stories of science and culture thrown in. Some strange things going on out there, strange things going on in the dark. Solstice Dark. Longest night of the year for... Alright, well, let's get to it. In an article put out by Futurism on December 18th, 2020, Victor Tengman writes about researchers achieving the first long-sustained distance quantum teleportation. Now, of course, I'm thinking Star Trek. Not quite Star Trek, but interesting nonetheless. To quote his article, the research could lay the groundwork for a viable quantum internet, a network in which information stored in qubits is shared over long distances through entanglement that could transform the fields of data storage, precision sensing, and computing, according to a Fermilab statement. The team, a collaboration between the U.S. Department of Energy's Fermilab and the University of Calgary and other partners managed to teleport qubits of photons over 44 kilometers of fiber. The process doesn't actually involve teleportation in the traditional sense. Quantum teleportation is the transfer of quantum states from one location to another. Through quantum entanglement, two particles in separate locations are connected by an invisible force, famously referred to as Spooky Action at a Distance by Albert Einstein. Regardless of the distance, the encoded information shared by the entangled pair of particles can be passed between them. By sharing these quantum qubits, the basic units of quantum computing, researchers are hoping to create networks of quantum computers that can share information at blazing fast speeds. This is an advancement toward a more readily reliable scaling up of such systems in different locations to build a bigger system. Christopher Simon, professor of physics at the University of Calgary and co-author of the accompanying study published in Physics Review earlier this month, said that the university's statement about research. But keeping this information flow stable over long distances has proven extremely difficult. The previous world record was held by researchers in the University of Calgary, covering a distance of just six kilometers, as Vice reports. Researchers are now hoping to scale up such a system using both entanglement to send the information and quantum memory to store it as well. All right, well, that's pretty fascinating. That's going to quickly lead to supercomputers that can do things that you can't even imagine. Next up, 
astronomers confirm an exoplanet with a truly strange orbit, sort of like a Planet Nine. This is an article from Science Alert, and it is by Michelle Starr, put out on the 15th of December, 2020. Most of the over 4,000 confirmed exoplanets discovered to date share something in common, a relatively close orbit to their host star. Now, astronomers have found something extraordinary, a giant exoplanet on a bizarre 15,000-year orbit around its binary star. It's the first time scientists have been able to characterize such a huge orbit. It's very widely separated from its host stars on an eccentric and highly misaligned orbit, just like the prediction for Planet Nine. Planet Nine is a theoretical planet that orbits our sun and comes into view only on very irregular occasions. There is some scientific thought that this might be true, but mostly it is, I guess it's kind of like a cryptid planet, sort of like the Bigfoot of planets. The reason that most exoplanets we find are relatively close to their stars is pretty simple, and it has to do with how we usually find and confirm exoplanets. Two methods are the most commonly used, the transit method, where the telescopes look for faint dips in the light of a star as an orbiting exoplanet passes in front of it, known as a transit, and the wobble method, a very very small change in the wavelength of a star's light as it is tugged on by the exoplanet's gravity. In both these methods, a single dip in the starlight or a single wobble could be anything. Generally, astronomers want a few dips or wobbles at regular intervals in order to confirm an exoplanet. So you can see why something on a larger orbit would be harder to confirm. Jupiter, for example, is on a 12-year orbit, so you'd be, have to be scary, staring at the sky for a while. But HD 106906b, first discovered in 2013, is a rare beast, an exoplanet that has been imaged directly. Most of the time, exoplanets are too faint and too close to their host star for this. But HD 106906b's distance means that it doesn't disappear in the bright shine of its binary stars. Still, working out the exoplanet's orbit wasn't easy. For that, a team of researchers needed data from the Hubble Space Telescope. Going back 14 years into the archives, they've managed to obtain more data on HD 106906b, slowly changing position at a distance of 737 astronomical units from its stars. As you can imagine, an exoplanet on a 15,000-year orbit won't appear to move much more, much in 14 years, but that was enough to, for the astronomers to piece an orbit together. Fascinating. That would be one long day. Moving to more of an inner space, in another Science Alert article, a cloud forest in the Misty Mountains of Bolivia reveals 20 species new to science. This is an article by Peter Dockrell from the 15th of December, 2020, and it says, A mist-shrouded cloud forest landscape nestled in the foothills of the Bolivian Andes has revealed 20 species previously unknown to science, along with a brownie of rediscovered animals and plants not seen in years, decades, or even a over a century in some cases. 
amphibians, reptiles, butterflies, and plants that haven't been found anywhere else on Earth as well. What's remarkable, in addition to the sheer multitude of life found inside this valley, is how close this hidden haven is to Bolivia's human society. While the Zongo's elevated surrounds take both time and effort to trek into, it's basically on the doorstep of La Paz, a major city that is also one of the country's two capitals. Imagine a bustling urban center filled with people just 50 kilometers, 31 miles, away from an untouched valley overflowing with biodiversity, Larson told Conservation International. That kind of human proximity tends to put negative pressure on natural ecosystems, and the Zongo Valley is no different. The biggest threat is land clearing for farming purposes, which encroaches on the natural habitat and could put the species living inside the valley at risk. With a view to preventing that, the Conservation International team, working with both La Paz and rural communities, and with the cooperation of the local Julia Playa community who live within the Zongo, has now released the results of their expedition, a comprehensive biological assessment of the valley's biodiversity. The goal is to help frame a sustainable approach to managing the cloud forest, one that benefits all Bolivia's life forms, both, both human and not. I suggest that you go to your nearest internet provider and take a look at the Zongo Forest articles that are out there. There's quite a few, and the pictures of the animals are amazing. Um, there's an incredibly mesmerizing snake, a devil-eyed frog that's black with bright red eyes, just amazing animals, and um, we are very lucky that they still exist being that close to a human civilization, so I'm hoping that they are successful in their conservation efforts. All right, moving from science news to some uh, ethnographical, anthropological, I'm not exactly sure which category this would fall under, but quoting from an article about six different Santas, the myths and maths of Christmas in Poland. This is an article by Culture PL on Polish Christmas. In Poland, they have a rich Christmas yuletide solstice. St. Nicholas was a bishop who lived in the Mediterranean town of Mira at the turn of the 3rd and 4th centuries, and he would bring presents at Christmas time to the downtrodden. Interesting uh, stories about him um, raising the dead and putting back together children that were chopped up. It's, um, but uh, most people know him as his later manifestation as Santa Claus. Santa Claus is uh, the most famous of the Polish creatures, characters, but there is also, in Poland, a star man who's waiting in the sky. Well, I suppose that's just quoting David Bowie. Uh, apparently, uh, not every pole gets their presents from Santa. On the contrary, there are a surprising number of other possibilities, depending on the region. In western Poland, there is the star man, who gives out presents. The star man is connected to the ancient tra tradition of caroling, namely going door to door and singing carols. Chris Christmas carols, I suppose, mostly. Typically carolers would go around in groups and one would carry a staff with a star at the top. The role is to said to have evolved into a figure of gift bringing, the gift-bringing star man. Another traditional gift-bringing entity from Poland is said to be little angel that 
brings presents to some families in greater Poland, but it's primarily in operation in the south, in the region of so-called lesser Poland. Sometimes the angel appears in person. Other occasions they just fly by unseen, discreetly leaving presents below the Christmas tree. In southwest West Poland, the presents are often brought by an actual star. Young ones keenly watch the skies on Christmas Eve, waiting for the appearance of the first star, knowing that this event magically causes their presence to arrive beneath the tree. If you live in the south of Poland, however, in the Silesia region, the little baby Jesus himself shows up and brings you his presence. Apparently, the tiny baby Jesus has been lifting weights and can carry all of the world's presents and brings them around to appear under your Christmas tree. Now, in the eastern parts of Poland, it's his direct opposite. Apparently, in Orthodox belief, the Orthodox Poles have Grandfather Forest. Those familiar with the Rimsky-Korsakov opera, The Snow Maiden, might be familiar with Grandfather Frost, who is the present bringer in eastern Poland. Apparently, this incarnation of present giver has unpleasant connotations to some as he is a reminder of the times of Russian domination as the Soviets purportedly tried to get Grandfather Frost to replace other more religious seasonal figures. So what day do Polish Polish children get their goods? I suppose Polish grown-ups too. Apparently in Poland the gift-giving season starts on December 6th, St. Nick's Day, and can go through the rest of the month of December. So there you have it. There are the different seasonal deities of the Polish area of Eastern Europe. So what are your favorite solstice or yuletide stories? Please uh, write to me on the Fishnets and Phantoms page or or even the dark discussions page or group uh, tell me what your favorite christmas stories are your favorite christmas deities did your family do anything cool like my family one time uh and to this day i don't know and i doubt that i will ever know somehow got santa's sleigh tracks sleigh tracks into the snow outside our family house. I know that Santa Claus himself came to my friend's house a couple times, left some coal for some of them, brought oranges and other things. Very mystified by that too, you know, because we don't we don't want to find out too much about Santa. Santa's a private fellow. He's got you know he's got his own things going. I'm sure the same is the true for the Star Man and the Star Child and the Chris Kringle etc etc but there's also other um, people that come around in this time of the year closer to the solstice there's some scary critters and uh, folk yeah I'm talking about Krampus 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 everybody's recent favorite boogeyman of Christmas now Krampus is a Germanic creature I'm not sure how far his belief extends to, though, in modern society, pretty much around the world. Apparently he's kind of Saint Nick uh, slash Santa Claus's, I don't know if evil is quite the word, but uh, very dramatically opposite. Um, he's the punishing spirit of Christmas, and what he does is all the kids who weren't good and don't get presents, they go in the sack and um, consequences. Uh, I've heard that 
you would be cut from nose to belly button, or perhaps it's belly button down. I'm not really exactly sure. Either way, not very good. Um, disemboweled and stuffed with dust, I think it was. Uh, yeah, like dust and wood scraps. And uh, yeah, so that was your punishment for not getting your spinning done and your work done for the year. Their cat, the Yule Cat, was also not a pleasant fellow. Um, the Yule Cat would come around and sniff everybody as uh, they went about their day, and it could tell if you had received new clothes for Christmas. If you did not receive new clothes for Christmas, you were eaten by the Yule Cat. <laughs> Kitty Cat just ate you up. Um, the Yule Cat nowadays is a lot more friendly. Uh, I believe that he's portrayed as a big, fluffy slightly trickster uh, looking kitty cat and uh, he's from Iceland but um, I don't know I'd imagine it's probably good to uh, pay attention to the old cat and gorilla and uh, keep on your work keep on your good work and um, hope you get some new clothes for Christmas keep up your friendships keep up all the good things in life because the bad things they can happen really quick which I guess is part of the reminder of gorilla and the old cat and Krampus and the Grinch. Now, there are several Grinch movies. Um, I believe sometime in the early 2000, the Jim Carrey Grinch came out, and recently there's another animated Grinch. I, however, am a purist and believe only in the Boris Karloff Grinch from the 60s, the Boris Karloff uh, narrated Grinch. I love that very much. Um, the Grinch and his haranguing of the Who's is followed by a Halloween story the next year. Okay, uh, a few weeks ago I put out a ask on my page for subjects for this week's podcast, and I had several responses, um, some great responses from Phil Perone I got the movie It Follows. I uh, possibly will visit that one in the future. And Claudia Riley suggested the infamous Abominable Dr. Fibes with Vincent Price. That is one of my all-time favorite strange, strange movies. Um, and I will do a uh, review on that soon, Claudia. Thank you very much. Uh, Charles Jarlis suggested a subject that I have actually been wanting to address for quite some time now, and I keep forgetting to. The podcast, the fellow podcast, and much, much, much superior podcast to Fishnets and Phantoms, Old Gods of Appalachia. That is an amazing podcast, and if you listen to podcasts, which you obviously do since I'm um, on one right now, if you are listening to this, um... It is a storytelling podcast. It is incredibly well acted. Uh, the sound, the music is incredible. I highly recommend it. I can't really say too much about it because I can't do any sort of justice to it, but um, look up Old Gods of Appalachia on your podcasting deliverer of choice and definitely listen to at least a couple of the episodes. It really pulls you in, I think, at the very first one, but 
It's amazing. I'm, I grew up down south for a while. I grew up in, actually, uh, I believe the place, a place near where this takes place, the stories in um, Old Goths of Appalachia, near the Cumberland Gap. And um, maybe that's why it affects me as much as it does, but I really, really like this podcast and highly recommend it, along with Charles. Um, I was also recommended Tucker and Dale, and Dale versus Evil, and Terminator Dark Fate. Um, I have a weird thing about the Terminator movies, as anyone who knows me very well can attest. I um, I love the very first Terminator movie. It was it's one of my all-time favorite movies, and I really hate a lot of the other ones, a lot of the sequels. I could go on and on and on and on at length about that, but I won't, um, to save all of your sanity and mine. Another um, suggestion was Color Out of Space and Mandy, which are super fun. Um, I probably will um, review Color Out of Space and Mandy. Um, I'm not sure if I'd do them together but they do both star the inimitable Nicolas Cage, who, you know, he's his own guy. <laughs> he's, he's had his uh, ups and downs in his career and his level of acting, but I uh, love him. I've also um, been recommended Midsommar, which I've done some on already, and Black Coat's Daughter, which is very good, too. Um, all right, and those recommendations were from Tracy Plock. Thank you very much for all of the recommendations. And right now we're going to do Kevin Letts's suggestion, Vampires vs. the Bronx. Vampires vs. the Bronx is a movie that came out in 2020 on Netflix. It is a Broadway video production company movie. The producers were Lauren Michaels of Saturday Night Live fame and Aaron David. Its music was composed by Brooke Blair and Will Blair, and it was directed by Osmini Oz Rodriguez, who worked for Saturday Night Live in some capacity for a while. I watched this movie not expecting much, if anything, um, and was surprised. It was a it was a fairly solid movie. It kind of reminds me of. Uh, 80s, 90s um, movie has that kids on bicycles sort of feel, which I don't know if anybody's getting sick of that, but I'm not. I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a, a fun trope. Um, but it's basically about a couple kids who live in the Bronx, and they are noticing a lot of gentrification going on. Uh, a lot of uh, their favorite places are getting bought up by rich people. Um, in this case, it's rich white people, and uh, most of the people in the narrative are people of color. Um, some are Puerto Rican, some Spanish, uh, or I'm sorry, Hispanic, um, and uh, some African American. Um, the actors that play in it are great. They um, they're very natural. They're very um, laid back. They're very calm. Uh, one of the best performers is Method Man, who plays a priest, the local priest, and um, and he's great in it, too. I think that 
Jaden Michael um, is play plays uh, Miguel Martinez. Uh, Gregory Diaz the fourth plays Luis Acosta. Sarah Gadden plays Vivian. Uh, Vivian is one of the uh, rich people buying up all of the neighborhoods um, buildings and uh, is uh, well I won't go into spoilers but uh, you can kind of guess from her uh, lack of melanin um, not one of the, the heroes of the picture um, Method Man plays Father Jackson um, Coco Jones plays Rita and Gerald W. Jones plays Bobby Carter Vladimir Caramano plays Papo, and Adam David Thompson plays Alexis, with Chris Redd as Andre, Shay Wiggum as Frank Polidori, and there is a very short appearance at the beginning, uh, Zoe Saldana as Becky. The movie has some clever nods to vampire lore. The company that's buying up all the properties is the Murnau Company, which is a reference to F.W. Murnau, who was the director of the first vampire film of popularity, uh, Nosferatu. I don't believe that F.W. Murnau was in any way a vampire himself, so I'm not exactly sure what the connection is, but it's good enough of a shout-out to him. And uh, Shrek, I suppose it could have gone for Shrek um, Industries or something for Max Shrek. Um, but they also have a character named Frank Polidori, which is a shout out to um, Polidori, the writer uh, that spent the weekend with the Shelleys and the Byrons, in which Frankenstein was written, and he wrote a fairly famous uh, story called The Vampire, which is said to be based on the character of Lord Byron himself. Now I'm not going to go in too deeply into the movie. I'm not going to um, talk about the plot and hijinks. Um, but it's a it's a good movie. It's a it's a fun stand-up movie. Kind of is kind of is like one of those that you would throw on in the 80s or 90s. That um, I don't know Saturday afternoon or evening and. Just relax and watch a fun movie about some neighborhood kids triumphing uh, against evil. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not going to turn into one of those, you know, okay, spoilers. It's not going to turn into uh, some sort of genre-bending, uh, incredibly negative movies where everybody is killed and there's a hellscape on Earth. Uh, no. Um, it's, it's a fun movie. Um, kind of reflects the uh, 2020 vibe of um, intermixed communities and um, know, it's it's a fun movie in general it's um, the interactions between the kids and their moms and their moms and uh, the vampires and um, the there's like a store clerk that is I guess like a mentor family friend to all the kids and, um, of course, uh, Method Man's character as the priest. Um, but, yeah, I, it's a fun movie. I would definitely go see it. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't be, you know, getting papers out to, uh, write a, uh, 
pop culture uh, dissertation on it or anything, but it's it's a it's a good couple hour, yeah, hour and a half, something like that um, time. So I highly recommend um, Vampires vs. the Bronx. It's a good, fun movie. Not very deep, but pretty enjoyable. There's some hilariously bad special effects in it. Um, there's a lot of like silly coincidences, like in any movie like this. Um, I saw a reviewer who was was writing it for that, and I'm like, well, it's not, it's not, it's not Citizen Kane, guys. Anyways, um, yeah, so that's the movie of the beginning of December. I'm gonna try to get in a uh, New Year's Eve um, episode or New Year's somewhere around New Year's Eve. I'm really bad at staying on time on my podcasts, as I'm sure you've all noticed. Um, but yeah, I will see you guys soon. Um, watch out for the Yule Cat. Watch out for the Krampus, although he's probably gone. It's after St. Nick's. Um, I hope that you guys all have a good Christmas, and I hope that you stay safe and healthy, and that your families are all safe and healthy. Unfortunately, it is probably a good idea to stay home in your nice, quiet home and just hang out with your, what are they calling them right now, pods. Um, sounds a little bit, uh, some sort of bio-horror, um, but yeah, no, just um, hang out at home and let your parents uh, hang out at home too. Have a, a nice chill Zoom or whatever your choice of interaction interaction media is. Christmas, so that the infections stop. Um, things are things are pretty bad out there. It's a it's, it's a dark Christmas indeed. But we can um, work together and get a hold of this. Everybody wears their masks. Everybody keeps everything washed down. Try to stay home as much as you can, and um, hopefully those vaccines will get out there and we'll be rid of this uh, virus and plague, which, you know, is uh, existentially good for life on Earth, at least human life on Earth. All right, everybody, I am going to end this kind of lackadaisical um, Fishnets and Phantoms episode. You guys all take care on the 21st, which is tomorrow. Uh, there is going to be a lineup of Jupiter and Saturn. I believe it's Jupiter and Saturn. It doesn't really matter, but I believe it's Jupiter and Saturn, and it is going to look like one massive star, which they think might have been the origins of the incredibly bright star in the Christmas story. Um, so that would be kind of cool to see if you don't have cloud cover where you are. Um, check that out, and like I said, have a have a Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful beginning to the lighter times of the year, and keep safe in these dark times. So that was my incredibly belated Christmas edition of Fishnets and Phantoms, showing up at the end of March because. That's how this year's are. This year is that last year and this year, um, things have not gotten overly saner. I again, um, I apologize too much, but I was gone for a little bit because it's been incredibly depressing out there in the world. Though there's a bit of a ray of hope, and everybody's getting their vaccines, and 
everybody will be okay soon, I think-ish, kind of, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm going to try to get back on my schedule of Fishnets and Phantoms podcast. I am going, I have a scheduled interview uh, with fellow horror aficionado uh, Marvin Spain, and we're going to do some musings on Psycho. And not exactly sure when that's going to be, but I will get that out to you as soon as I can. And, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll see you on the 13th, if not sooner. I hope you enjoyed this little um, (laughs) dive into the past of last December. You can probably tell from my voice that, uh, I don't know, I just kind of felt the whole world was a bit dark. And so that's why I... uh, I've been kind of retreating into my deep cave of despair or whatever. I'm going to um, pop out with the spring and uh, no, I'm not. No, no, <laughs> not at all. I'm going to hang out in my deep cave of despair and play some Morrissey. <laughs> that will be much better. All right, guys. See ya.